WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 31, we talk Eastland, affordable housing framework, and breaking news with the city attorney, Bob Hageman. Welcome to episode 31 of R&D in the QC. we got a lot to talk about tonight. Where should we start? Where should we start? See, that's how you got to do it, Larkin. No one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to hear... you got to pump people up in the beginning because we're going to let them down when we start talking about all the boring content. We've got some not boring content tonight. That's a good point. Um, a lot has happened. A How's lot has happened summer break today. Been? We, I think we've talked about summer break. We're back, we? to, we're back to business we're now. We're back to biz now. We don't even have time for that. Totally agreed. Segment number two... We're gonna bury the lead here. Mm. Uh, it's the it's the story of the day. I think. Yeah. We're gonna have City Attorney Bob Hageman on to talk about a big announcement he made today. That's gonna to be in the second half of the show. Bob Aroni. But there was a lot else that went on today besides uh, Bob's bombshell. We had a big housing uh, discussion tonight, and uh, and a big outcome as that goes. But before we dig into the housing. What's happened in the last week since our What's last episode? What's happened in the last week? This is a uh, segment brought to you by Scooters. Someone is going to die. <laughs> that should be their slogan. Uh, that was something I brought up. We'll dig into that in a minute, too. We'll try to take this as chronologically as we can recall. Okay, last week. Uh, quickly, Wednesday, I want to give a shout out to the Charlotte Independence professional soccer team. I went out to the Matthew Sportsplex and uh, embarrassed to say that that was the first time I'd been to an Independence game, but had a great time. There was a great turnout for a young woman named McKenna uh, who had been injured in a, in a really horrific accident. She was there with her family and a lot of her friends and, and her soccer teammates on the competitive team that she had played on. And the team donated their entire ticket proceeds from last Wednesday's game to McKenna's family for her uh, medical cost that ended up being upwards of $25,000, including all the tickets from their season ticket holders for that game. Um, so really, really generous on their part. And it was a great turnout to support her, to support that team. And I just wish it wasn't 2021 before we get to see them down here at the renovated Memorial Stadium. Uh, but Matthew Sportsplex is a really great complex. Yeah. It's not particularly convenient if you live uh, a mile or two from, from uptown Charlotte, but uh, but worth the drive. Get out there and check those guys out. I was out there about a week or two before you watching the game, and it was cool. But let me tell you, getting out there, I mean, there, I, there's a reason why I haven't been to a game, I guess, after I, I took that track down there. And then it's okay, but, like, it is going to be – it, it is going to be, like, you know, minor league baseball well, right. it's gonna before be, and after. Yeah, it's going to be what – it's going to be the transformation that the Knights had, I think, yeah. when they moved to Memorial Stadium. So, But shout-out to them for um, the incredibly generous donation uh, to that that young woman's family. Um, and shout-out to, to McKenna. She had such an incredible spirit for someone who was going through something that is um, really hard to wrap your, your head around um, for, for a young person to be dealing with. Uh, but she's very strong and, uh, and has a very strong support system. And so that was really cool. I had a lot of fun at Camp North End doing our live pod out there. How about you? We did. Uh, that was an entire episode, so it'd be weird to talk about Let's it again. Let's talk about the whole episode. Like, but, uh, recap. but I will say that uh, Mayor Parker might have been our funniest guest to date, and I was not expecting that. It wasn't until the end until she started talking about all her <laughs> rapper friends' experiences. So. Um, Agreed. Major street cred for nah, Mayor Parker. Nah, street cred. Uh, Friday, we were on... WCCB News Rising, mm. which was very, very early for us. It was that was weird, man. Uh, well, maybe very, very early for you. I get up about that time. But we maybe we should. Well, you go to bed but around I, nine p.m. I w- that's this is true. <laughs> but I would like to, um, since you you often harass me for my lack of trivia ability, point out that that my three person team throttled your three person team in Panthers trivia, and I do know some some Panthers trivia. 
And um, so I, I slightly redeemed myself, possibly. I, if for anyone who saw that, I'd just like to personally apologize. That was the weirdest thing I think I've ever been a part of, or at least top 10, maybe top 20. I'll co-sign on it being an unusual it was segment. Weird, man. Uh, but did one of the hosts I fall did win. down? I think one of the hosts fell there down. There might have been a fall, <laughs> and it wasn't us. There was so much screaming that I lost about half of my hearing in there. Okay, that was cool. What else? I talked to the uh, the FOP, the state FOP was in town um, the Friday before last. I got a chance to say a few words to them with the chief and the sheriff, and uh, it was great to see uh, those folks in town. Um, I'm, I'm out of order now, mm. but I mentioned it at the Camp North End show, but didn't get a chance to follow up. Pride last weekend was phenomenal. There was a record turnout again. Uh, the turnout increases every year. The parade, I mean, the, the parade route down Tryon from about 9th to Trade Street, and then it turned down Trade Street, was lined like multiple people deep the whole way. Families, um, people of every demographic uh, segment. It was beautifully diverse. Uh, members of the LGBT community, as well as, as tons of straight allies, as well as tons of our corporate citizens, so many companies involved, which I imagine, you know, I wasn't at Pride 10, 15, 20 years ago, but I can't imagine that there were as many companies back then that were confident enough um, or, or brave or bold enough to say, we're going to really support this and we're going to co-sign on this. Uh, but to see some of the large organizations now that are involved, not only involved as sponsors, but have their own float or encourage their employees to be out there, uh, was very heartening. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun as always, but even, even bigger crowds every single year. So shout out to the people who pull pride together every year. Cause it's, uh, it's quite a show these days. It's quite an undertaking. Um, does that bring us to today's business? I believe it does. Well, we could fast forward the clock, and, and while we're just recapping little things, um, uh, we're both going to be the guests on Flashpoint. We are. So Sunday morning. Sunday. On WCNC at 11.30 a.m.? 11.30 a.m. Is, is that no. right? Or is it 10.30 a.m.? Wait, it's, wait, 10 to 11 is Meet the Press. 11 to 11.30 is Flashpoint. Somewhere in that 10 a.m. to noon spot. It's 11. Go and check your guide, Probably your TV 11, guide. Yeah, 11. Um, eh. we were, it records on Thursday or Friday, and it, it runs on Sunday morning. But WCNC, your local NBC station, uh, it'll be on somewhere in that vicinity Sunday. We hope you'll watch. We don't even know what we're talking about yet. I've heard it's gonna it's got great reviews this this uh, this week's episode. The show we haven't recorded yet? Yeah, I'm pretty it's sure. Gonna, yeah. Two thumbs up. Um, show ever. So we had a couple committee meetings today, but the one that drew a lot more attention and was probably more newsworthy was the Economic Development Committee, where, amongst other things, we talked about Eastland. I think you've heard of Eastland. It was a former mall site uh, over Central Avenue near Albemarle and Sharon Amity. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of it. So a decision. Well, I guess a decision wasn't made today. A recommendation was made today by staff as to who we would negotiate a contract with to be the master developer. And what it ended up being is it, we've covered this with a couple of episodes in the past. There ended up being kind of a merger of some of the proposals that we had originally seen. So who did it end up going to today? Uh, the um, it's the, Two of them merged into one. It was uh, Crossland, Crossland and, and the, the Odell and the, group. And the Odell group with the soccer stuff. So a combination of a lot of things around this FC Barcelona soccer proposal, um, as well as Carlson's obviously got a background in in residential, um, very mixed use proposal now, and there's still a long way to go. This will this will be voted out of committee next month. We've already told um, Economic Development Chair James Smudgy Mitchell that we'd like to have him on as, when it's voted out of committee uh, to discuss it next month. It'll then come to the full council. And this is still really long, a long um, timeline for this project and for this council. But I, I do think we, we kind of have a starting point now. And for a decade or more, people have seen these kind of pipe dream ideas of a movie studio or a ski slope, which is I still can't really fully wrap my head around what that was going to be. But these pipe dream ideas kind of come and go 
in this, I think we've got folks who have a proven track record of being able to deliver on this type of project. This isn't a pipe dream. This isn't some fly-by-night group that we've never heard of until they flew into town to talk about Eastland. These are people that we've seen deliver and seen perform, and uh, and I have faith that even though it will take some time, uh, that this will come to fruition See, I, and this I, will be the answer. I, I, I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly that you've said, but I also feel like all day today I've been like the one guy like raining on everyone's parade when it's like pat ourselves on the back time. But multiple times a day, I think people have dislocated shoulders, pat, patting ourselves on the back when literally we're either at like how I described Eastland today was we just made it to the starting line and we've been at the starting line before, like all the hard work and all the risks and potholes are yet to come. And I am still very nervous, even though this group is legit that, you know, we don't have any idea what they're asking us for. We own a piece of property with a pretty high valuation that I'm sure someone's going to ask for something out of. What kind of government dollars are needed? What kind of infrastructure investment is, is going to be required or rezoning or whatever? You know, I just I'm nervous because I was hoping we would be at some point where we would know a couple of these things. I want to get out of the way of private sector and let them do something special with that site. But until we, we can't get to that point until we know what they will need of us. So I would have figured that would have been the first thing for us to get to. I understand that, you know, everything can't move as fast as I would like it to. But I would have thought that was the fundamental piece. So we'd say, hey, all you guys who are and the gals who are uh, bidding for this stuff, let us know what you want from us. Not just your vision. The vision is obviously important. But let us know what you want from us. And we haven't even gotten to that point, which is a little bit mind boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you've got to figure out who you're negotiating with before you start negotiating. And I think that this was an unusual process in kind of laying all four proposals on the table and then ultimately having some of them, uh, some pieces of, of one defect and, and join another. And it was it was really, I, I would say, probably pretty unprecedented. So it's hard to have negotiations with four groups. You, you've kind of got to figure out who's the group that can execute, that can pull this off, and then and then dig down into the details. And again, I think it gives me some comfort that we've got groups that in some cases, I mean, with some parts of the the group that ultimately is recommended, we've worked with them before as a city. And so I think they kind of understand what the realities uh, and expectations are from our end and vice versa. So I don't think that there's going to be some bizarre deal breaking type of request on their part to us or vice versa. And I think that, um, you know, I think ultimately we've got, we've got a good mix of uses that will activate this site that the, the people who live around it in districts one and five will be proud of, will engage with, and that will really benefit that side of town. So, you know, I, I, I think everybody pretty well understands, but this really is a year's year, if not a, you know, a decade long process, but we can't finish if we don't start. And I think it's, we started today. I, I, I don't disagree. I guess all, all I'm saying is like, it kind of bothers me a little bit sometimes when we, we get to milestone two, right. Of 20. And I think this, this is maybe I'm just looking inward a little bit at the day. And I, and I kind of felt this about both things where literally then we, it, it's like a victory lap where everyone has to have their chance to like say, Oh, I'd like to thank staff. And then I'd like to thank this person and the community and all this. Literally, we don't know how this is all going to end up. There's still work to do. Like, I mean, do you think that's necessary for us to all kind of run around patting ourselves on the back to the extent where literally it's gone so freaking slow. I'm about to pull my hair out. I don't think we need to get too hung up in the small victories and the small milestones, but I do think we need to acknowledge them because we don't, if we don't talk about the things that are going right, if we only focus on the things that are not, um, I think that's a disservice to the community. I think it's a disservice to us. Honestly, people need to know what we're doing and we need to be honest about the things where we, we misstep or we make a mistake. But I think we also need to say, Hey, you know, if, if we're going to talk about affordable housing here in a minute, many of us ran on affordable housing and, and you and a couple others who didn't have, have still made it a big part of your focus for this term. I think we need to show people and acknowledge when we do hit a milestone or when we do make progress, because people need to know that the things that we ran talking about prioritizing, we are prioritizing. But we're making progress. I, I don't on. disagree, but like, I mean, we, we, it feels like we meet a lot and we do a lot of work, but the bottom line is 
we meet four or five, maybe six hours a week as a group. And then we meet for several other hours as small committees. But when you burn 30 or 45 minutes, everyone taking turns saying almost exactly the same thing. I mean, like, that's a huge chunk of the time we could be doing. Like, okay, what are the next steps? It's just, it's just, I don't know. Something about that rubs me wrong, man. Uh, you know, it, I, 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 I'm having trouble articulating it, but it's, it's something that feels not authentic. It's not, not what, what we're here to do. Like, okay, it's fine. We want to we, we want to communicate with the with the community and let them know all the things they're doing. Great, we have a whole division of people inside this government to go do that stuff. But when we're together, though, every one of those minutes is valuable time, and to be wasting it uh, celebrating for thirty or forty five minutes of something that's literally one step in a multi part process. I, I don't know. I see. I've probably wasted enough. We could have been spending this time. I, now I was considering whether or not to point out the irony yeah, to you. There but. is irony there, right? But that's the whole point, I guess. We politicians are uh, well. It's are, are I mean, to discount beasts. discount the the politics and this you know constant running for office and the fact that you do have to kind of market the good that that we are doing as a collective whole and and individuals. But even just for the, the sake of the city government, I mean, people need to know that good things are happening, that progress is being made, and that the dollars that we are spending, which are our constituents' dollars. Uh, and we need to always be mindful of, and and the people that they have sent to office, uh, that was not misplaced trust in us, and and it's not, um, and, and we are good stewards of those tax dollars. So I, I think people need to know, hey, we told you as a community, we sent you to office because you said you were going to work on these things. Not everybody is as engaged as maybe some of the people that are sitting in the audience today to talk about affordable housing. So we can't expect that everyone knows every little nuance and, and detail and minutia of what we're doing about it. We need to sometimes toot our own horn, and, and I, I don't mean individually, I mean collectively, and say city staff and these community stakeholder groups that are so involved and, and the elected officials. We said we we're going to make housing a priority. Uh, we, you know, we know Eastland is important for East Charlotte. Some of these things that we've said are important. We've got to show people that we're making progress and it wasn't just lip service. All right. So that's a good transition into the other topic of the day. Housing. Well, before we get to housing, I, I got to acknowledge cause now it's, uh, it's, it's turned into a thing. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting blown up on Twitter. Um, Twitter. What's that again? Yeah. Well, you're back this week, right? I'm going to come back. I think this week, the, I'm going to tell you, it has been a beautiful month off. Well, welcome back to the fray, my well, friend. I'm not there yet. I'm still enjoying it. It's so nice. Back tomorrow. Um, so we were talking about in we got a council update on a couple of things, including our transit plan 2030. We also got an update from CDOT uh, head Liz Babson around really around Vision Zero, which is kind of the visions envision zero scooters vision zero not envision zero I just envision zero scooters um which is basically the the policy that we've adopted to say that one death on our city streets be that someone in a car someone on a bike someone on a scooter someone walking one death is too many and um so i think we've done a lot of good stuff towards that end one of the things i brought up tonight because it was listed in our agenda as future action that council would be presented with some regulations and rules around bike share and scooter share at a subsequent meeting, likely October or November, because this, the bike share and the scooter share pilot ends in October. I had a long discussion with a friend and constituent yesterday about this, um, prompted by a tweet I had posted on Friday uh, about the fact that I had seen two people without helmets, not that that would have made it much better in this case, two people riding electric scooters on I-277, an interstate highway um, that circles uptown Charlotte and where cars are supposed to be going, you know, 50, 55 miles an hour, but are actually going 65, 70 miles an hour. There were two scooters on 277. It was, I mean, I, I, it was hard for me to wrap my head around as I saw it and, um, and was really terrifying. I mean, I really thought I might see these people die. And so I'm, you know, we are both big advocates for 
allowing experimentation for allowing things to be implemented and we kind of tweak them and improve them as we go. Uh, I'm a big fan of, and I, and I think you are too, of anything that adds to the mobility options that our citizens have. Uh, this is a great tool for first mile, last mile connectivity, which we talk about a lot. I am in favor of scooters. Uh, so some of the folks I think misinterpreted some of what I said tonight as me trying to get rid of scooters. Absolutely not. But right now we have no guiding regulations or principles or even aspirations for how these things are used. And what that's what that's meaning in terms of what it looks like on the ground is you have people riding them on 277, but much more frequently you see people riding them on crowded sidewalks in Uptown, which is incredibly dangerous. You see people weaving in and out of cars or going through red lights. Um, well, I mean, but, but and, and people say, well, what's the difference between a bicycle? Most of us have a lot more experience riding a bicycle. They don't go as fast. Uh, this is something that people are getting on often for the first time and really having no experience riding and, and taking on, on these joy rides in a very dangerous but, way. Well, so I, I totally agree with you on, on majority of the points you've said, but the one thing I will say is that there are laws to prevent what you, it is not legal for someone to ride a scooter on the, on the interstate or 277 or anything like that today. I hope you're right. I well, spent 30 it, I, minutes trying to find something it's, it's, this weekend, and I couldn't find a single law that said it right wasn't. Right now, as, as it's been explained to me by staff, these things are regulated like bikes. The question was, do they need to be regulated also more like mopeds, which would make helmet requirements and speed limit and different things like that. But right now, they can operate on sidewalks. They can operate on streets. The one thing that is unknown right now that I actually learned about in the last couple of weeks is on sidewalks, there are some sidewalks that allow it and there are some sidewalks that don't currently on the books. The problem is nobody knows which ones those are. Well, more or less, it but shouldn't be. But you can't be. go ride your bike on freaking 277 today it and not get arrested if somebody sees you. It shouldn't be. You shouldn't be riding on sidewalks in the central business district. I mean, that... Yeah, that should be the way they they, it's the same with bikes as it is with scooters today in that there are some you're not allowed to. And I I recommend to them if we're going to go forward with that, perhaps you should mark those since so somebody actually knows. When a lot of this is part of Lime or Bird's user agreement, but we know no one reads user agreements. So, you know, to expect wait what? Yeah, to expect that people are all going to be wearing helmets or all going to be 16 years old um, is not realistic. But I think we do have to have some at least some of the uh, the initial rules in place and authorize our police, educate our police, and then authorize them to enforce those. Tark is now putting on his bird helmet. I am now wearing my bird helmet. Let the record show this is a knock which on my still head. Has like a, which still has like a tag attached to it. I don't wear it whenever I've actually ride. worn it. Yeah, well, I ride, uh, this thing, first of so all. it's more I for decoration. Tested. I have a pretty huge head. It does not fit my head. So there's problem number one. And it doesn't matter because you've clearly not even taken the uh, tag off of it to wear it when you ride. Listen, I'm going to be the first to say, I have never worn a helmet on one of these scooters. I believe it is a flaw in the current business model. Don't require helmets. If you don't create a new rule or a law for literally something that no one is ever going to do. Well, I'm not necessarily proposing that we do. And clearly they've put it into their user agreement because it helps them abdicate themselves. Right. That's on me. Right. And that's part of their legal. To to think that everyone in their suits is going to also be carrying around a helmet uptown during the week to ride these things is, is, is a pretty uh, right. you know, ridiculous That being thought. in the user agreement is is literally nothing more than these companies covering their own asses with liability in case you do wreck and you don't have a helmet. They can say, well, you were not – you had violated our user agreement. I understand that, and I don't think that, that we should necessarily try to have police officers running around chasing folks for not wearing a helmet. But I do think that we've got to be much more clear and much more um, – I don't know, diligent about enforcing some of these rules. And we need to put rules in place and state them very clearly to our officers, to the public, um, because it is a danger. And the, and the prediction I made tonight that that has kind of caught fire in two different directions on Twitter is I said someone will die before the end of this calendar year on a scooter. And I I think that is, is highly possible. Um, some folks are, are saying, I bet they don't, and they literally want to make a wager. And I'm not going to wager. It's not a laughing matter if someone loses their life in our community in any circumstance on a scooter or anything else. I'm not going to make a wager on it. I don't. Ho- I hope I'm wrong. I hope that doesn't happen. But 
things that I have seen, not only this 277 thing, but most specifically this 277 thing, lead me to believe that that is highly possible. And and I don't want that to happen on our watch, and I don't want it to happen because there was a vacuum and an absence of, of rules set forward or authorization given to CMPD to enforce some of these rules to not only protect the people riding them, but to protect pedestrians and others. You know, that 277 situation could have ended up being someone swerving to avoid them and hitting another car, and maybe it's two cars that wreck and we someone can't, dies. We can't, we, can't, we can't regulate to that. Now, here's the other thing. Well, though. you can pull those people over if oh, you're CMPD absolutely. and issue a citation or well, arrest them. the mayor them. told you you should have called 911. But, of course, by the time you do that and then the officers get there, they're not on the highway anymore. But I, I think someone will die, but the way you need to think about it is people die on bicycles in this town every year. And, and but there's a lot better community understanding of what you shouldn't shouldn't do on a bicycle. And that's maybe, not to say not that people always. don't break those norms but, but and that's rules. That's the argument for more bike lanes, is it not? I mean, that that's probably oh, the most underlying, you know, material premise for bikes and scooters for that matter. And shout which out is to Bird because they want to contribute dollars as part of their program ongoing to help Charlotte build more bike lanes or create more bike lanes. So I mean, it's these these companies are they they want to help solve the problem, but we've got to set some boundaries here. And again, I think the scooters are great. I want them to stay, but I want them to be as safe as possible and for us to create an environment where, where people can use them uh, to their benefit without so much risk. I, I love the scooters. I, I mean, look, I ride three to four scooters a day, literally. And uh, if it, it's, it's changed the way I get around uptown. Uh, so hopefully uh, we can figure out a way to cap this thing off and make it safe. Housing. Housing. So, uh, Go ahead. I I rained on everyone's parade again in this topic. Make it make it seem. You don't want to start with your negative. Yeah, make make it seem great at why first. Don't you and start, then no, you start with the negative, and, and then, then you'll bring us up yeah, on the positive. We don't want people to end on a negative. Don't want to end the show on a negative. Um, so we voted on a framework tonight, and this fr- I I don't want to give it any. You know, I give it credit where it's due. It's a great framework. There's a lot of great stuff in there. Gives you a bunch of historical and and kind of, you know, community knowledge. And then it lays out all these different tools, uh, all these different components that we can utilize as we're about to hopefully have the community approve $50 million bond and then have it matched at some level by the private sector. So, uh, you know, everyone kind of went around the dice once again, thanking, you know, their mom and dad and Jesus and, and staff and everybody else uh, in the world for, for how this day is possible. And my point was, look, I'm going to vote yes on this framework. And I think it is a good document. And, and I have actually come around legitimately and, and honestly in my own heart that this is a problem and we need to solve for it. But the, to think that this is this framework and us putting on the uh, a fifty million dollar uh, fund on the bond for for uh, a referendum vote is the solution is I think short sighted. We still have a lot of work to do, and if everyone thinks fixing the locational policy or adjusting it, creating this framework, and having the community vote on a bond is the end of our work, I am very very sorry to report. I do not think that's the case. And, and the stat I used earlier today in the meeting was, look, if we look on average, the money we've spent over the last several years using kind of a worst case scenario of the 4% money we've deployed, $50 million are going to pay for 1,428 units just doing things the status quo. And the status quo is a good status quo. And there's a 24,000 unit gap that we are trying to fill. 24,000 unit crisis, not to mention the fact that between 2013 and 2017, we lost on average every year, 5,600 naturally occurring affordable housing units. So if we're only going to gain 1,428 over the next two year period of this $50 million, we have to figure out how to spend this money differently. We, and you know what you need? You don't need a framework. When I started businesses, when anyone who starts a business in the private sector and you're going after capital and investors, you know that you don't create a framework. You can't. You have a business plan and you have a pro forma and you say, here's what my projections are going to be over the next several years. And maybe you don't know exactly how every single one of those things are going to happen, but you bake in assumptions and you're held to a fundamental measurable premise every year and where you're going to go. 
in the case of businesses, it's dollars. I'm going to generate this amount of revenue coming in. Bam, bam, bam. And you may have to tweak things and your assumptions ends up being true or not. But the barometer is the dollars. You know what the barometer here is? It's units. And no one in staff or this government is willing to commit to a number of units. I'm probably the first person that's ever said 1,428 units out loud. So deals may change. More NOAA opportunities may pop up here. More new build opportunities at 4% or 9% may, oper- may, may operate open up over here. But at the end of the day, I need to know how many units you're signing up for so I know what to hold you accountable for. So when you come to me next week on something you've postponed today of, hey, we have the opportunity to buy this house, 75 grand. Well, I know 75 grand could have purchased three units from 4% money. But now I don't know that. And this goes back to, you've told me time and time again, not to use the word slush fund. Tark, don't use the word slush fund. That is exactly, aside from the illegitimate gains purposes of this, exactly what this will end up being without a strategic plan and a pro forma and something to measure it against. It's just going to be, oh, here's a new thing, 75K. This is great for one unit. And, And at the end of the day, that 1,400 and some unit thing starts to go down to 1,420. And 1410. And before you know it, we've done less than, than the average. And what we need to do, and this is my final point, and I'm done, then you can bring us back to a positive note, Larkin, is if 1,420 some units is the average based on the good work we've done over the last several years that $50 million should be able to purchase, we need to inspire this community and the private sector to step up in more material ways. And we have to inspire them by showing them a path of how we use this toolbox to do something different. And that means quantifiably. How did we take this money and make 2,500 units or 3,000 units, showing them we are, we are cutting edge in all the nation and all the world and how we're deploying this for affordable housing? I think we have inspired the community. And I think today you and I and, and several of our colleagues, including the mayor, were at something that demonstrates that. I, th- I think had this council gone with what has been the, as you say, status quo, we'd have put another $15 million affordable housing bond on the ballot in November, uh, as has been done in years past. And I don't think we would have inspired the private sector in the way that we did, but we didn't. We put a $50 million bond on there, and we're working on a plan, and, and we've got this plan now of, to demonstrate how we will deploy those dollars. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You just said two things I cannot let pass here. One, you said the amount of money, it, it makes a difference between us being status quo and not. But, but in reality, us doing the same thing, right, just pouring more money into it is not – that's not different than the status quo is how we operationally utilize that money. But I think that by putting the $50 million, well, first of all, I don't think we're doing it the exact same way it's always been done, but putting the $50 million, I think is, is a huge flag to demonstrate to the community. This is, this is the priority of the city right now. This is the priority of the city council. And it is what led Michael Marscano and the foundation for the Carolinas to pull together this group, seed it, itself with $5 million. And you and I were at an announcement today where Wells Fargo threw three different programs. And again, I, I, I like that we're seeing people coming at this from a bunch of different angles because some of what we try to do is not going to work uh, or it's not going to work as well as it as we hoped it would. So I think by coming at this from a bunch of different approaches, we'll find things that work really well and we can say, let's amp, let's ramp this up uh, and others won't work as well as we'd hoped. And we'll say, well, let's, let's dial this down and, and, and ramp up the things that are working. Wells Fargo came to the table today with $20 million over uh, three different programs that they're going to implement. Crescent Communities came to the table today and said, we want to donate, it was four point something, four point something acres at the River District, which is going to be an incredible development out on the Catawba River, west of Charlotte. And they're going to do that for affordable housing, uh, all or most of which is going to be under 60% AMI and 20% of that is going to be under 30% AMI. So there's there's traction and there's momentum. And I think that again, by, by the big number is not to say that 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 necessarily breaks the mold. I think it does demonstrate to the the community that we're serious about this and they are taking it more seriously in turn. And so, you know, kudos to those folks. Um, Michael Marscano will undoubtedly bring other big players from the, the private sector to the table. So I think that that's, that's important. And I think that, 
you know, and I try in, in both things we talked about where we don't want to be too congratulatory to ourselves, Eastland and the affordable housing framework today. I tried to frame both of those with a, with a dose of reality. The Eastland thing, I said, this is not the end, but at least we're getting started. And the housing thing today, I said, we, without the support of the community and without the support of the private sector, we as a council and we as a city government would not have been able to make a big dent in this. I didn't say solve this problem. And we've got to be very realistic about the fact that we are not yet anywhere in the stratosphere of solving this problem, but we are going to make a more sizable dent in it than has been made in so it So what's past. more important to you right now? Is, is, is it making sure you, you don't freak out the private sector? And, and get them to come to the table with the money that we know they can, and, and I think they will? Or is it to figure out how we be the, uh, serve as the best stewards for the $50 million that we have now placed on, on the ballot? Which, well, I don't know how those two, I don't know that those two things are tied together. I, I think, I don't well, think there that, weren't a I, lot of people being critical of where we are with this framework. Right well, now. I don't think the private sector is trying to micromanage how we deploy dollars on our end they're coming to the table with creative new solutions that they're going to execute um i don't think they're trying to dictate how we deploy our dollars and i don't think we're trying to dictate how they deploy theirs again i think we're better off spreading our eggs across multiple baskets because not all of them are going to be as fruitful as others and so if we say we're going to go all in on this one strategy and then that doesn't pan out we've really shot ourselves in the foot having six or seven different strategies, which is kind of where we're headed, I think gives us a lot more opportunity for success and creates models for future success that we can build off of. So I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to come across as like, um, uh, not proud of the work that's been done and not optimistic, you know, glass half full that we are doing something special. I just, I'm wired in a way where, okay, we have this big opportunity to do something that hasn't been done before with this amount of money. And it is, it is on our shoulders to do something extraordinary here, Larkin, as the mayor said so eloquently earlier today. So I, I guess here, let me, let me frame it to you this way. So, you know, that deal that we were going to have to potentially approve today and they, and they pushed it off for the, to buy a house. Well, you, you've, but you got on. all the details wrong is one problem. We weren't buying a house. We we're selling land. Selling the land to, 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 to essentially build. that was going to build and then buy. But also, for, it's, for, uh, your comparison for, earlier wasn't apples to apples because you were talking about rental properties. This was a for, a for purchase property. So it's apples to oranges in that regard. But hold on. But hold on. No, no. It and is, you're not but, wrong there, about the $75,000 maybe not being a good ROI. But let me ask you this question. But it's a different circumstance. The, uh, fair enough. That's true. But... The, I think this 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 point still stands, which is they said we pulled it from the agenda because we want to approve the framework today, which we did. So it could come back to us in the next meeting, now informed by the fact we approved a framework. What in that framework gives any insight as it relates to that being a good or bad deal or that being something we should do or shouldn't do? Well, I don't think that was completely disingenuous saying that we want to use that framework to guide all the decisions we make now. But the reason it got pulled tonight what they was said. because a lot of us were asking questions as the as we led up to the meeting. And I had questions around some of the appraisals that had been done. There were three property transactions, all of which are surplus city properties, some of which had a logical explanation for the appraisals that I thought were off, which is that there were some tricky circumstances around the sites. So two of them were not accessible. They didn't have like a, a easement or a right away to get to them. So they really would only be valuable to somebody who has an adjacent property that could attach them together, essentially. Um, so there were some quirks in those properties. That Plus it was, it was 10 that, years. Yeah. Versus, and I think we can do better than that, but I, I, I think we can do better than on a couple regards for one unit. That was one of the three situations. The others were not, not at that level, but again, they're, they're quirky properties that have a very niche market because you have to sell it to somebody with an adjoining property in two of the cases for them to even utilize it. Otherwise, there's no access to the site. One of the sites is completely unbuildable, and they need it for additional acreage to utilize more density on the buildable part of the site. So there's interesting circumstances there that, that justify some of the logic behind it. And we have challenged staff to say, go out and find some of these surplus properties that we have, and let's be creative about how to use them. So kudos to staff for being creative. I think we just needed to sink our teeth into it a little bit more to understand each individual circumstance um, 
and have it brought back to us when we've had a chance to, to do more of that. But, you know, I, I agree. I don't, that was one of my things on the one was is $75,000 for one for purchase unit. Is that a good ROI? Maybe it is. Maybe that's what it costs for us to, in a very hot area, which this is, this is two miles outside of uptown to build a for purchase affordable unit. But we need to, we need to have some ways to look at that and compare it. Is that, that, that is what a strategic plan, a business plan should already tell me. I should already know that. I shouldn't be relying on their opinion every time that something like that comes well, up. Well, we can't just take the our- average for the whole city because the average in the, the, the amount that it's going to cost us to build it in Ballantyne versus the airport no, versus Northlake is, is all going to be different. If number of units is our ultimate measurement here, I should know that, hey, this one, go ahead and knock three off your list of possible because this one, you're, this one is going to cost the average of three of what you're going to need to build. At the end of the day, this is a numbers game, man. But the three you're talking about are three rentals. And so there again, we have to decide, we have to say, how much do we want to prioritize? And we need, again, a mix. We need people to be able to purchase affordable homes. We also need people to be able to rent affordable places. But my, 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 I totally agree. All I'm saying is that framework does nothing to help us with this problem. Nothing. Does that framework tell you anything about making that decision? I think it informs it. I don't think it makes the decision for you, but I think that's what we're here for. And so, I, I mean, that's that's our role is to make those analysis. And it's not always going to be black and white because you have to, in this case, look at the fact that, that these three properties we talked about, all of which were in my district, so I, I feel pretty confident in, in speaking to them, are near opportunities in terms of employment they're near opportunities in terms of transit options and so that's going to be more expensive and again i'm not saying we necessarily should end up approving this but i think we have to consider it because it it might be worth deploying more dollars in a couple of these circumstances to put people near transit lines put people near job opportunities and near uptown these are all within two miles of uptown Versus if we went three or four or five miles east of there and you said, well, now you're not near the transit. Now you're not near as many jobs. And and, and the progress in that area is going to be much further uh, out down the line. So, again, there's there's pushes and pulls on all these decisions that we need to analyze. And that's that's our job to do so. But I'm, I'm glad they got pulled. I think we all need to take more time to look into those three specifically. Um, this was my concern. We take away, I don't have a better word for it, but aside from the negative connotation being taken out of it, this is what I meant by slush fund. This is the, exactly what I meant was, Oh, Hey, there's a great opportunity. And somebody in staff is like, ah, it's fantastic. And they bring it up and they tell us all the reasons why it's right. While we don't have a benchmark, we don't know what we're sacrificing on the rental side to do this. I mean, it's just, but I, I think would what you want a strategic plan. I think you want, a computer program where you can type in the details and it spits out a yes or no answer. No, I, want I don't think that's going to exist. I want a pro forma that says you are on track to do 2000 units and beat the average over the last five years experience. What we've had there by 500 units, um, but based on the ways we're going to do it. And then when one decision pops up, say warning you, you are, this is the cost of three. So just know that because this is a numbers game. That's all I want. There's going to be and there judgment is no calls. Measure. And you know why there's no measure, no number, no measurement? Because staff has always operated like this. And I love them and they're great staff. But this is our role to push back on them. They don't want to be tied down. They don't want, they want to say, let, let, don't measure us. And guess what? So does everybody. Everybody wants that. But you don't get that luxury starting a business in the private sector because you're going to be measured because people are not going to give you capital unless you hit the numbers that you say you're going to hit. Why is this any different? I just don't think that it's, I just don't think it's that simple. We can't predict what each unit, well, we can't predict where the opportunities are going to present themselves. That's exactly what Pam and staff told me. We can't. Pre- well, I said, well, guess what? Make five assumptions. When we when we have to rely on well. when we have to rely on all of the partners we have to rely on to to do this work, we just can't always know the next thing that's coming in front of us in terms of an opportunity. It is our job as elected officials to make the judgment calls and say, in this case, and maybe we say that on one or two or all three of these pr- proposals. Maybe we say in this case. I don't think this is the best use of these dollars. It's not in this case directly dollars. It's discount on the sale of the property, but that's beside the point. It's an opportunity cost. Right. 
I think it maybe we come back and say I think we can do better with that asset than gleaning one four purchase unit. But do you think any startup business CEO knows any better than than what we're we're talking about now of where the revenue is going to exactly come from, which clients are going to bite, which deals are going to stick? Absolutely not. In fact, the city has better track record data of what to expect with 9% and 4% deals. And now with the NOAA stuff. So I, I don't, I'm sorry. There's nothing special here. There's nothing special here that makes well, this again, not this work isn't, that This way. isn't the you end of the process either. So why are people so scared to sign up for numbers around here in the public sector? I, I just don't understand that. It's a, it's a, you know, over $2 billion operation. And it's like, uh, I, I, you know, I'd rather not be measured. Of course not. We'd all rather not be measured. But unfortunately, this is big league stuff, and these are big league dollars. So, uh, you know. Well, and I think it, it is going to be measured, and it's going to be up to us to decide whether or not. I mean, again, we're making these decisions. We got to decide whether the ROI is there and whether we think this is a good use of dollars or assets or whatever it is that we've, we've gotten we're using. So, And then ultimately, voters will decide, have, have these elected officials – and staff under their guidance made enough of progress on this issue that we should give them another term, that we should send them back to office to continue this work, or do we want someone else new to take a crack at this? So so five years from now, over under bet, what's the number of of the affordable housing crisis? Is it over or under 24,000 units five years from now? I mean, I, it, I think it's depressing to say, but I think our goal should be to try to keep to try to keep it relatively steady because with 60 people a day moving to this community, and again, that could change. We don't know, but with 60 people a day moving to this community right now, it, it would project to be worse. And so I think our goal should be to not allow it to be worse. Um, and to your point, we spend time in this next year focusing on giving people the, the opportunity to elevate their economic status out of needing that affordable housing so that they can afford their own housing. So we, you know, I don't know. You just you just can't oversimplify the conversation or the problem or the solution. No, that's a good. You bring a a great point there, which is this is not a affordable housing is a tool in a broader toolbox of upward mobility that we're talking about. So I don't know, man. That was a good debate. I probably won, but you know, doubtful. <laughs> but something that none of us won on tonight will be the topic of segment two. Yeah. Uh, we have yeah. sad news, but a great conversation with a great friend, and that'll be right after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with a very special guest, city attorney, or almost to be former city attorney, Bob Hageman. Bob Larkin, what, this is a special moment, also a bit of an unsuspecting, uh, unsuspected one earlier today. Yeah, we had to bump another high-profile guest tonight when, uh, when some news came out involving Bob. We were certain he'd never come on the podcast. Uh, almost as certain as we were that he'd never leave this job. I mean, he loves this. So thing, I'm happy man. he's on the podcast, but I'm sad for the circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Bob, tell tell the world your news. Well, I was good until you guys busted on me at dinner tonight, yeah. making some kind of crack about getting boxes and moving oh, yeah. out of my office. So, so, so I, I should, said the heck I should with you. preface. I should preface that we were supposed to do Bob's uh, annual city attorney evaluation at noon today. It got bumped to tonight's meeting, and so at dinner before the meeting, I joked that he needed a couple extra hours to pack up his boxes because he knew we were going to fire him. Inappropriate, Larkin. And then an hour later, Bob, what did you tell us? Well, I told you that I'm done. Wow. Um, it's been- 24 years, right? 20, it'll be 24 years with the city, seven as city attorney. It has been an absolute blast. Uh, I have stories. Uh, Folks tell me I need to write a book. I probably need a, to get a waiver of attorney-client privilege. Mm. Or just come up with some pseudonyms. Approved. Uh, was that Raxton Brinston once <laughs> said to me? Um, so let, let's start there. Let's start there. Random thoughts, 24 years. Which, What's to put it in perspective, in case you don't feel old, we were in middle school when you started this job. Justin Harlow was six. I think he was in kindergarten. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Justin so, Harlow was an embryo. Right. So what? So what is? I mean, you you have a ton of stories. You've you've told us many over over these last uh, seven, eight, nine months. What you know? What's one of your your? What, if someone said, "What's your favorite or most memorable or your go to memory in that twenty four years?" What what do you say? Would you say it is? Wow. Early on, it was fight fighting porn porn stores, mm. adult businesses. Council had adopted an adult business zoning ordinance, and it led to a number of lawsuits and some regulations that we developed after actually uh, touring the businesses while they were closed. No entertainment going on. Bob was only there for research and development. Is that when you first met Larkin? Dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that's... When actually, hold on. I could tell he was having trouble, so my question was going to be along the same lines. I was going to say, give me your top five, like, toughest, heaviest lifts of your 24-year career. Uh, what were the toughest days or the toughest issues that you had to deal with? Even just in the last five years, we yeah. know of several, but well, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot we also don't know Also give of. the year, the rough yeah. year, so we can see how many of your top five are in the last five years. Well, probably the biggest one has to be the fight over the airport. Mm. Uh, it was 2013, and when the legislature took its final vote to take away the airport and give it to an authority, uh, I had somebody in the clerk's office, a judge waiting, uh, an email written to the attorney general saying we're suing, and uh, we were able to get a TRO. We found out later about 16 minutes. We don't use acronyms without explaining lined. them. That's a temporary yeah. restraining order. Yeah, uh, a, a court order keeping control of the airport with the city. Um, little side story on that. Mm. Um, everybody knows Richard Vinroot. Richard's a friend from way back. Richard was representing the authority. And at one point, um, I reminded the judge that time was of the essence because I needed to get, if he was going to grant it, I needed to get the order before the bill in Raleigh was signed by the presiding officers. At that point, Richard said to the judge, Your Honor, I don't think you have jurisdiction. This bill is not law. To which I responded, Your Honor, I believe Mr. Vinroot just admitted he represents a client that does not exist. Mm. Mayor Vinroot, you got owned. Oh! Oh! oh. I don't think Mayor Vinroot listens to our show, so we're safe sure here. He does. So that was number one? That probably was number one. Number one. That probably you got bobbed, Mayor Vinroot. All right, yeah. so let's let's stop. Let's do the countdown, but let's go from five to one. So so we, we know what one is. That was a sneak peek. Yeah. We M. Night Shyamalan there at the end. So number five. Number five. So I'm not sure. I'm not prepared to do these accurately in order, but I'll throw a few out there. Okay, good. So um, Save the best one for number two. The DNC was, was phenomenal. Fascinating. So much we learned. Mm. Uh, the preparation for over a year. Uh, most of my work was around First Amendment, trying to figure out how, what I said then frequently, uh, to protect people's First Amendment rights while at the same time um, protecting public safety and preserving the peace. Mm. And uh, I didn't do this part, but I watched CMPD execute masterfully during the convention. So that is, is a beautiful number five. Let's drop up to number four. Number four. Wow. Uh, Doesn't have to be in order. So you, you so haven't this, named the yeah, three things that I yeah. thought you were going to name first. So, so this is not in order, but um, this is not because of the sad event that occurred, um, but just in a personal experience, heading down a hallway, racing to an appointment that I was late to, and being surrounded by four guys in blue suits who asked if I was the city attorney. And after that was saying, March 2013. Maybe they told me that they were the FBI and they needed to talk to me in a room alone, at which point I flashed back to the age of 15, scanned my life, asking, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Correction, I guess March 2014, right? That was 14. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so that... that, that the um, audience, maybe uh, tell them what you're talking about? Yeah, that was when um, then-Mayor Patrick Cannon was arrested mm. by the federal government. Uh, you don't wake up in the morning as a city attorney expecting... Uh, to be surrounded by FBI agents mm -hmm. and being given that news. They were here to execute a search warrant of the mayor's office, uh, and they needed my help in understanding what was the mayor's office, what physically constituted the mayor's like, office. I'll tell you what it's not. It's this one over here in this corner. That's uh, well, my office. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, um, when I got a free moment there, I went back and looked at my calendar uh, to see what I was doing on January 22nd, and I was actually in Chapel Hill interviewing law students for a summer clerk's job. That was a pretty important date, that January 22nd. For those that don't remember the exact entire timeline, <laughs> what happened on January 22nd? Your listeners will have to look that up. Okay. We've got homework now. We don't do that really here, but that's cool. So that was number three, let's say. Um, I'll, I'll 
lumped together a couple of really big lawsuits mm. that we um, had a difficult and challenging negotiation to settle. Um, the really sad one with Jonathan Farrell, um, who was shot and killed, um, 24-year-old. Um, we had arrested our officer. He was headed toward a criminal trial. Uh, and we decided, the council, the Marin Council and I collectively decided, let's try to settle the civil side before the criminal trial. That was um, a sad situation. I think everybody realized uh, that money to a family who whose um, son had been killed in the way that he was uh, was not really... Um, Comforting. Not really comforting, not really justice, but it's the only way our system uh, has on the civil side for compensating somebody who suffered such a loss. Mm. So that was that. That let's just call it net four. So you've got yeah. one more. Uh, one more. How about uh, four mayors in nine months? Mm. And uh, that was Anthony Fox, who left to become transportation secretary in D.C. Mm. Uh, Patsy Kinsey, who I love to death took over as interim mayor or mayor, not interim mayor, mayor to fill out the remainder of his term. Interim mayor's fair enough, Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Cannon got elected that fall. And then four months later, we had Dan Klotfelter, a former state senator who was in his mayor for the remainder of Patrick's term. Though for somewhere between a week and two weeks, you actually did have an interim mayor in Michael Barnes. Yeah, mayor pro tem. Whether you count that or not, he was the acting mayor. That's correct. Michael Barnes is mayor pro tem. I had the wheel. Man, so you didn't. Not... So you didn't mention the September 2016 protests uh, surrounding the Keith Lamont Scott shooting or House Bill Two, which I would have been certain would have been in your top five heavy lifts of your tenure. But the other interesting thing, to Tark's point, you mentioned some dates there. All but the first thing you mentioned around the adult stores happened in the last six years. Six. Uh, so it's been quite a roller, and that's. That's all in the, what, seven years that you've been the head of the city attorney's office. Yeah, I talked to colleagues around the country, and I've got a list of about, we've hit on about four or five, about eight different things that when they hear about it, I think there's general agreement that any one of them would have been sort of the capstone of a city attorney's career. And, and I'm not taking credit for this. This is stuff that has come at us um, or that we've gone out and done here in Charlotte in the last seven years, but um, the list of really significant, interesting, and frankly, fun stuff that I've been able to do uh, is remarkably long. So what's your, what do you, what do you hope your, other than, um, I mean, you know, a half dozen to a dozen capstone career events, um, what, what do you hope your legacy is around here? And, you know, what, what do you, what do you think that the, the folks on this floor and all the other floors kind of are going to remember you by? Well, I don't know that I want a, a legacy, that an attorney for a city should have a legacy. I guess what I would want to be known for um, was a good colleague, um, a good lawyer, somebody who found humor in difficult situations and tried to share that with others. Uh, Ron Carley, a former city manager, used to say, it's only a movie. And I have said often that um, when we're in the toughest spots, dealing with the toughest things we can imagine, uh, it seems pretty pretty challenging and awful and painful but somewhere down the road looking back those are the things that make for the best stories yeah it's kind of like the long snapper on the panthers if their name's in the paper too often it's probably not a good thing <laughs> you'd re- you'd rather your city attorney not be the uh, the front page news story but uh, i do think there's probably a book in there somewhere once you consult with an another attorney who can advise you when you're allowed to start telling those stories or how much you have to change the names but i, I think um and, and Tara can chime in here, too, because he's in the same boat. But I think uh, while we're, we're certainly sad to see you leave, I think it was a huge value to us to have you here as we transitioned in with a new class of, of five, six um, younger council members to have that institutional knowledge. Tell us where some of the, the potholes in the road were, so to speak, and um, and advise us as we learned the, the business of running a city. Yeah, and so, talk about that for a second, because... Um, you, you cited to us in some written documentation last week that that was one of the things you enjoyed the most over the last year. One of your top three things. Was that true? Or, or I mean, how do you really feel about the, you know, the five kind of newly elected uh, f- freshmen under 40 crowd that, that is, is now in here? How, you have you a, got nothing you, to lose now. You yeah. can be honest. You have nothing to lose and you had a unique seat for all this. So, so I, I, I won't, I won't comment yet if ever on my observation of the inner council dynamics mm. of you guys coming in and folks who had been here for a while before. And um, the, the, what people call the word I can't use 
um, the millennial word. Um, you but ju- personally, you just used yeah. it. Personally, Larkin banned that months ago. I, know, I don't know if you read the Wall Street Journal, but it's yeah. officially illegal now. Um, it, it was energizing. I mean, you guys came in. It was um, all this fresh, young blood with new ideas. Uh, and I was trying to rein you guys in a little bit, not to try to keep you from doing what you wanted to do, but to educate you and get you to think through uh, the legal framework that you're operating under and potential unintended consequences that um, I I think really potential consequences is something that always should be factored into the kind of big decisions you guys make. Mm. That's one thing I'll tell you that I really appreciate about my relationship with you. And I'm hoping whoever we find, I feel the same way, which is I have no problem. Maybe this is why you're quitting uh, calling you day or night. Hey, Bob, another random question because you, you instilled in me in those first couple days. If it's even a question, Let's just talk through it. There's no reason for you to kind of debate it or be on on your own on an island and try to figure out what are the ethical ramifications of this decision. Let's just talk it through and we'll talk it through. And and we've literally done that probably, you know, somewhere between a half dozen and a dozen times over these months. And I, I just you just walk away feeling so so comfortable. And I hope that's I hope that that is something that isn't just, you know, specific to you as a person that that w- will continue to find someone who. I can I can trust to have those kind of conversations with because it's it's priceless. One more BuzzFeed style list I'll prompt you on. Mm. Uh, in the seven years that you've been the head of the city attorney's office here in Charlotte, Tark and I have both been fairly involved in, in local politics and have known a lot of the members of council. But prior to that, maybe some of the council members that Tark and I have who's the worst have now. I wasn't going to put you on that spot. <laughs> prior to maybe the the generation uh, or the the group of folks before us that maybe Targ and I did know and did interact with, who are some of the folks in your first 15 years that maybe we don't know that are interesting folks that we should get to know or we should read more about if they're no longer with us? Top three list. Top three list. Well, she'll kill me if I don't put her on it, but so I've got to say Lynn Wheeler. I knew you were going to do that. I knew <laughs> who we both know, uh, and, and she's wonderful. Had lunch with her last week, actually. Um, she, All right, number two. She, yeah. So number two, he's not around, sadly, uh, passed away shortly after he left office, but a guy named Don Lockman, who was in the minority party and would get frustrated. Uh, he was a very analytical, logical guy, and everybody loved him. Yeah. He was just a prince. Agreed. And three. You, you got, you got, so one, got, one more. You can go over three if you want, but you can't go under. I got one left. Let me, let me think who will be most angry at me for not mentioning their name. That's just the kind of analysis we're looking <laughs> yeah. for out of you, Bob. Yeah. Oh. Always the people pleaser. Warren Cooksey. You're yeah. Warren Cooksey. No, no, no. Warren, Warren Warren's Cooksey. Warren's way too, whoa, 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 Warren's whoa. Way too recent. I, I'm going to do a, a slash. I'm going to do a slash. Religiously. I'm going to do a slash. Yes. Cooksey and Doolin. Ooh. Way too recent. We know both Good those guys. Time. Like They well, were literally here yesterday. doesn't matter. District 6 and District 7, right? Bingo. Got, get, got to throw something out at those two districts. Love those guys, but we knew them. I was looking for the, the Don Lockmans that maybe I don't know and should learn more about. There's got to be somebody else out there from like first five years you were here. Don Lockman so I was, was really You know, you know my first five, ten years, I was kind of watching from a distance, and I didn't interact with a whole lot of them very much. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I spoke at an event, um, and Don Reed was there. Mm. And, no, no, and I called I called Don out in front of the crowd, so I'll do it again here. Uh, I don't think he listens. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. He's uh, big into the podcast. A year or two after I got here, I got a call from my boss, Mac McCarley, at the time. And he said, all right, need you to get to work researching something and, and preparing a memo. And I said, sure, boss, what is it? And Don had just filed in front of the TV cameras for re-election and announced that he was going to propose posting the Ten Commandments in the council mm-hmm. chamber. That does not surprise me. And... And a big, huge First Amendment and religious fight broke out. Wow. I've, I've met Don once, maybe twice. Uh, I was challenged to go down to his breakfast, which he's, where he still holds court every week at the Skyland Family Restaurant. Uh, and he paid me the highest compliment I think I could have expected from, from Don at the end of it after he had asked me to stand up and speak and I had been uh, accosted by several of his attendees. He said, you're not that bad for a Democrat, I guess. And I took that as a very high compliment. High praise. High praise. So so before we go, there's a question you're supposed to ask me. Yes. What is it? What does it mean 
What's it like? What does it mean? In just ask yourself, Bob. We don't ask remember. Your, ask yourself. We don't remember the script. What is it like to be a city attorney, Bob? So I'm going to answer that in terms of what is it like to Thanks sit, for asking, guys. sit as the city attorney at one of your meetings. Yeah. Wait, one of the current council's meetings? Any council meeting. Oh, okay. Any council meeting. But so for a city fun. attorney at a city council meeting, it is long periods of tedium and boredom mm-hmm. punctuated by brief moments of sheer terror. That sounds like it's. That sounds that, like the name of your that, book. That, <laughs> that begin that begins with, Madam Mayor, I have a question for the attorney. <laughs> That's the subtitle for your book. I don't know what the title is, but you've got your subtitle now. <laughs> That's beautiful. I mean, so uh, I, you know, which one? Which one of us would you say is the best on council of, of all the council men and women? Are we talking about the current twelve or the two of you? Oh well, let's do both. We assume that of the current twelve, it's one of the two of yeah, us. It's got, I mean, yeah. That, Right? So it's kind of like Animal Farm. Who's your favorite? I, I love all my like the most. I love all my bosses equally. Some more equal than others. Yes. <laughs> we well, won't ask for that list or ranking because uh, you do still have to deal with us for another couple of months. So leave this one. Leave us with one last piece of guidance on your way out the door here. Um, for the next city attorney who who walks into all this clearly you're going to have all kinds of hopeful time kind of to t- show them your favorite phrase where all the bodies are buried and all that stuff but what is like the one most fundamental principle of your success over the last seven and 24 years that you would relay to this man or woman uh coming in the door understand your role don't go outside of it particularly in the political area but also understand that if your bosses are willing to use you that way, you can be of service not just in providing cold legal advice, but being available, and, and Tarky touched on this, being available as a resource and a sounding board, um, but always remember what your actual role is. And then one final point, what would your recommendation to that man or woman who comes in to fill that role be in relation to, so you've talked about, your role as the city attorney, the role of, of interacting with council members and the mayor. What about the role of interacting with the city manager? How would you uh, articulate guidance there? We need to both recognize that we don't work for each other. We work for you. So there's a clear um, sort of separation of allegiance. Um, that said, you've got to be able to work closely with, on a day-to-day basis, the city manager. And a lot of that is trust and interpersonal stuff and relationship like in any situation, and if you pay attention to it and are committed to it, you can do it right. Excellent. We are going to miss you, sir. We're glad we got a couple more months with you. As I said from the dais tonight during council comments, you're off the hook at the end of the calendar year for being our attorney, but you're not off the hook for being a friend. You still have to come in and visit, uh, have a beer, have a whiskey with us, and tell some of these stories because we only got to scratch the surface yeah. of, of what's going to ultimately be Bob's book, I'll write it. subtitled I'll write it Long Periods of Boredom Punctuated by – Short moments, Short of, moments terror. of terror. <laughs> but we look forward to hearing more about it. Uh, you can use our names directly in the book. I assume it'll be all complimentary, um, and we won't even charge royalties. Mark Dakari. <laughs> well, well um, all seriousness, guys, um, it really has been an honor uh, for 24 years, last seven. Um, this past year with you guys on council, uh, both of you said um, exaggerated but very kind words about me at the end of the meeting tonight. I appreciate it. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride. All right, man. Well, it's not over yet. So hold on for a few more months and, uh, and, and help us with this transition. There are big shoes to fill now. Um, but we, we're grateful for everything you've done for the city and grateful for everything you've done for us. And we're glad we finally got you on the podcast, even if it's under sad circumstances. Well, this is the, this is the right time. Now hey, he's more free to say what he felt. And I'll come back next year and be really free. Bam. No, oh, watch out. Consider that a date. We're going to have to get some technology where we can beep things, I think, between now and then. Well, that's episode 31 in the books. We appreciate you joining us, as always, for R&D and the QC. Make sure you subscribe, share it with your friends, rate the podcast, do other things to help spread the word. As your lawyer, I recommend you do it now. Tark's not your lawyer. But We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Out. Who waited me?